You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, we're talking with Kyle Thurman. Kyle, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Now, we're going to talk about your show, uh, Parade at David Lewis, but just to pick up with where things are right now, it's September 16th, you're in Pennsylvania? Yes, I am um, visiting family in Pennsylvania um, for a few days after my opening last week. And how is Pennsylvania? We're going to talk about New York opening, but I would imagine small town in Pennsylvania, it's sort of the opposite of, of the energy around your show in New York. Um, yeah, well, Pennsylvania is uh, where I spent the majority of my um, childhood and teenage years, and it's a place that I spend a lot of time in, both um, rural Pennsylvania, west of Philadelphia, um, where I grew up, but I've also been teaching for the last number of years in uh, Philadelphia at the Tyler School of Art at Temple University. So um, Pennsylvania is a big part of my history and current life still. Well, yeah, that's why it's uh, interesting to talk about that and perhaps how it relates to the, to the show, to jump right into that. This is a show of, of work on paper, as I understand it, and also sculpture, uh, bronze sculpture. Uh, before, before, I guess, talking specifically about each, these are presented together. Are these kind of talking to each other? How, how do you see the relationship between these sculptures and the and the work? I mean, I see similarities in form, but it, but it's also something very different, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I guess um, when I when I left Pennsylvania and moved to New York for college, um, I didn't necessarily know. Uh, what my maybe professional future held. And I was in college studying mostly writing and then found myself taking a lot of courses in the architecture department and then found myself in the film department. And then I ended up meeting some really wonderful mentors in the art department and um, artistic practices were presented to me as things that could um, hold together many different um, threads in a single practice. And so that became really appealing to me as somebody who was um, studying a bit of everything at the time. And then the more I learned about contemporary art, the more I admired practices that um, really presented a constellation of works, um, typically ideas found materials as opposed to ideas being forced through a material filter over and over again. So it's just how I started working as an artist. Um, I don't think I could necessarily work any other way. But for this show specifically, the title Parade is kind of speaking to this reality of many different elements in one place. Um, parade. So the element the of sculpture. Yeah, so, so let's put that in context of the sculpture. So these are the elements. I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the, the, just of the sculpture itself, they're part of the, 
the the parade in a sense there this kind of you know very dimensional thing because there's something interesting happening also with the sculpture with these tables that they were sitting on which which I know are also you know yours are collaboration and they're almost presented like a like a meal or something like a, at a table that's unset that's also um yeah, that's, I hadn't thought about them as, as meals in in a sense, but um, but I like that I like that um, association with the work. Um, the sculptures, the bronze sculptures, um, are actually works that started a number of years ago um, in my studio when I was invited to make a proposal for actually a public sculpture project. Um, that proposal and process fell apart in the early months of the pandemic when when no one necessarily knew what the future held but the ideas around the work stayed in my studio um, so the sculptures in this show although they are presented on tables um, as, a, as an alternative to kind of a traditional white plinth um, they're both autonomous works but they're also models and proposals for larger potentially public work so well that's so very interesting so that's, yeah that's a little how it feels these these are kind of heroic size almost could be these could be huge these works well, they're almost yeah like I mean, they that. could certainly find themselves in a lineage of um calder to caro to richard sarah but i also acknowledge the fact that producing work at that scale is, is not always possible in terms of space or, or production funds. So um, I'm interested in the history of the model as a sculptural proposal. A lot of artists work who I like from Ligia Clark to someone like Mike Kelly often worked with the idea of, of the model um, as something that could signify um, a scale shift beyond the object itself. But um, many times that, that doesn't happen for an artist. So, so the work exists in its current form only now. And the other work, the rest of the work in here, which is primarily work on paper, is, is that correct? That's what's happening in, in, in these. There's a, a number of things happening, but this is all work on paper that has these gorgeous colors. Is that correct? Yeah. Everything in the framed, in all the work that is framed is is on paper. Um, the larger work is a. Um, they are panels that have um, heavy duty kind of watercolor paper mounted to them, so they do have a rigidity when I'm working on them in my studio. But, but yeah, paper is something that I um, really dedicated myself to in my studio a number of years ago. Um, when I was primarily working with drawing and drawing slowly evolved into using things like watercolor and I've, I've just always loved the quality of, of paper. It's always kind of been... But this is often more primed it. paper, right? Yeah, some of this paper is primed, so you're, you're painting on, 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 on gesso as well. They seem like very unusual surfaces. Yeah, so the... the um, the paper is primed um, with a clear kind of um, sealant just um, 
mostly for for the sake if if there ends up being um, oil paint applied to the the work at some point that there's a little bit of a resistance from from the paper um, absorbing that oil but but the works are primarily made with um, watercolors and and gouache like paints um, I, I mix all the paints myself in my studio so that I have um, control over the the kind of fluidity or if something is drying more matte or more glossy um, also just yeah, the colors seem very vibrant I mean just to talk about the colors in this whole show we could talk about you know forms or, or maybe narrative even but the yeah the colors that you're getting from from these seem um, just gorgeous and incredibly rich uh, yeah you're saying that the paint is handmade or, or you're yeah, so I work with um, pigments and binders primarily from two um, New York City kind of um, a little bit more niche art stores. One is called Guerra Pigments that was in the East Village for a long time. They've relocated. Sure, to yeah, Guerra's great. Guerra's still there. Yeah, Yeah, and the other is Kremer Pigments, which is more in um, kind of Chelsea, Penn Station area. Yeah. So these works, your your practice for a while has been drawing on these type of pigments and this use of color because it, it almost seems like a you know a show of that. All of these canvases are, are have very different palettes. It seems. I mean, maybe there is there's of course something in common with all of them, but it, but the range of colors is what is what's remarkable and the richness of them. Yeah. So when I was working with primarily drawing. Um, I started to use a lot of um, colored paper, paper that was, um, you know, produced in a certain color range uh, in whatever factory it's made in, just to kind of embed the drawing, almost like kind of drawing on a on a ready-made. Like there was some embedded emotional or contextual information for a viewer just based on the colored background of the paper. And then slowly as the practice evolved, I wanted more control over the color myself. I wanted to work in a more specific palette, especially for these, for these new groups of uh, large paintings. And so that's when I really started um, working with making my own paints just because of the vibrancy of some of these pigments. And also um, I really wanted um, a spectrum of colors that was kind of fluorescent and prismatic and incredibly saturated, which which I found that I could achieve really well with um, these kind of more specialty pigments. But it's, it's also the light that's coming through them, right? I mean, they seem almost almost luminous, some of these pigments there. Um, it, it's, to my mind, yeah, everything saw has them, a, it, it, it's, it's almost like a, it looks like light's coming from behind it. None of it gets kind of, dark, I mean, unless you wanted it, or it's black, but these rich purples and reds still seem, uh, you have to have a lot of light on them. Yeah, I mean, the luminosity is achieved by um, lots of layering. So there's, you know, an, an initial underpainting that I make, and then there's kind of a modulation of color over time by by adding pigments on top of each other with different transparencies and opacities and... Um, and so, yeah, there's often a reveal of color from underneath that's creating that kind of um, that glow that the, that some of the larger works really have. 
So to talk about some of some of the imagery in some of these, um, as we're talking about like forms and colors, which is great. There was one um, called Dream Police. Uh, my neck. This one feels like it has a narrative, right? These colors are also everything we're talking about. Incredible range of colors on this on this figure, but this is um, a bit of a, a story, isn't it, or, or no? Uh, I suppose I would resist the uh, tagging the work with specific narratives uh, and would be more comfortable saying that there's kind of um, a collection of signifiers and kind of uh, elements extracted from popular culture in the work that um, a viewer could kind of... um, you know, impose their own associations on. So with the series of of large paintings, which is the first time I've shown this group of work, um, they all, they're all kind of falling under this title dream police. Um, And the images themselves are um, taken from websites where people upload and download um, files that are intended to be 3D printed. And these files are all um, fantasy body armor that um, comes from popular culture. So um, a lot of the characters come from the world of Marvel movies and some come from popular video games. Um, so the, the characters in these Dream Police paintings at David Lewis right now are some of the most popular um, downloaded and 3D printed uh, fantasy body armor, which um, one character that repeats itself in the show is is the character of Iron Man. And right. another character is um, from a video game, Halo, which has been very popular for quite some time. So there are these fantasy um, characters, um, almost like exoskeletons more than people. But um, the scale at which they're, they're rendered at, they, they start to kind of, they become fragmented. You never see a full figure. So they, they start to play with kind of a bit of abstraction. I like that. It's, um, I mean, so there is, you know, that's, that's true that the viewer would kind of bring their own interpretations to some of these, but I'm glad we talked about this because this is also, uh, a kind of iconic imagery that we're likely all seeing in some form every day too, or or on a regular basis, right? This is these are somehow yeah. Whether well, you're an enthusiast are. of comic books or video games, you'd be very familiar with them. You know, some of these characters have been um, adopted and um, manipulated for political reasons, um, you know, they, these are kind of just cultural symbols that have been um, pushed and pulled in, in, many, in many different directions and um, have been kind of uh, successful for many different people in many different ways. And so it became interesting to me that um, that this was such a popular kind of um, hobby in a way for so many people, this um, 
3D printing and customizing. Um, so it's amazing. That's like a whole body armor. world, right, of people that are swapping plans for body armor. That, yeah, that is kind of extraordinary and what that's even yeah. about, you know. I just found it but to be um, fascinating in the age of, uh, you know, we all have the ability to manipulate our image, whether it's, um, you know, filtering our ourselves on social media with the you know unlimited cachet of um, filters at our at our fingertips, or um, altering our just biographical information online. You know, there's so many ways to um, alter one's image in a way for various reasons. And um, mm-hmm. I was just curious the, about the. Um, the um, the attraction to this body armor and what that might signify for different people um, in an age of kind of so much um, real physical conflict, but also conflict that's mediated by the virtual world. These uh, these kind of characters seem to be fluctuating between both. So. Um, yeah, but, yeah okay, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, um, beautiful kind of you know idea about this imagery, and and of course you know independent from the imagery, they're they're sort of just uh, bursting with color too. The 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 mood of them is kind of what strikes me as sort of exuberant. You know, there's something um, they're, they just seem like full of light as opposed to dark paintings. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, of course. Um, I mean, the 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 fact that they come from these fantasy worlds themselves selves allows um, for a real use of kind of synthetic, unnatural color, which attracted me. Um, and then also in the process of, of reading, or excuse me, in the process of making this exhibition, I came across this um, concept of, something called prisoner cinema, which is actually a optical phenomena when somebody is um, isolated in, in literal darkness for so long, their eyes start to create um, light. And it's often in, um, it often occurs in kind of this prismatic hallucinatory way. So I thought that this, this kind of content of the paintings, um, which is um, daunting and kind of maybe dark in a way, as you said, could be contrasted with kind of like forcing some um, exuberance, another good word that you used, onto them. So, so that's kind of why this, um, this kind of incredibly bright spectrum of color is typically used to render them. I like that, uh, Kyle. It's it was, uh, it was a it's a beautiful show, and it's it's running through October twenty second um, of twenty twenty two. So I hope listeners get a chance to see it. I I want to ask you one more question before we go, which is off topic. But what are you reading at the moment? I am reading a wide range of things at the moment, but. Um, there's no uh, real binder between the um, 
between the um, content of what I'm reading other than the fact that I'm reading books that are generally short at the moment. Um, a friend of mine and I were, were talking recently about between working and teaching and a number of other things. We've had such a difficulty, um, we've had such a difficult time really finishing a book. So we've started this kind of um, not quite book club, but we've been sharing with each other titles of short books that we've that we've really loved recently. So um, the most recent book I've I've read in this category is titled Auto Portrait by the author Jesse Ball. It was published um, about a month ago. It's really wonderful. Thanks so much. I want to thank you for your show, which I really uh, personally enjoyed. Uh, seeing in person and I want to thank you for this conversation today. I, I wish you well with your work and in particular this the show. Thanks so much for your time. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators and more.